babies are dying, right? In vaccinated countries, babies are dying in unprecedented levels. In Ontario, Canada, a doctor there um, said that usually they have five or six uh, neonatal deaths. And in a three-month period, that they had 86. This was his testimony. Um, in Scotland, which is a, an almost completely vaccinated country, there's double the number of babies dying. Facebook is trying to fact check this, but they can't because the BBC reported it. You know, many uh, Scottish Scotland on Sunday, I believe, reported it. The Scottish Herald reported it. It's it's double the number, and they're trying to downplay that it's just a signal. But no, it's double the number of stillborn babies or babies who die shortly after being born. And in Israel, also a highly vaccinated country, Rambam Hospital has uh, 34% more spontaneous abortions, miscarriages, and newborn deaths to vaccinated mothers than unvaccinated. So again, these are early signals, but they certainly require investigation. And, and you've got to scale them up to the 190 vaccinated countries around the world, right, to to try to get a sense of how much risk uh, we're facing, you know, as humanity. Hi, everyone. This is Veronica Kirilenko of the New American Magazine. Last year, the CDC issued a strong recommendation for women who were trying to conceive pregnant women and breastfeeding mothers to get vaccinated against COVID. The authorities stressed uh, that there were no safety concerns whatsoever, even though pregnant women were excluded from cl clinical trials. Well, let's take a look at what CDC Director Rochelle Bolensky and the President's Chief Medical Advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, said on the matter. Pregnant people experience the same side effects as others following vaccination. We were also able to follow in detail more than 3,900 pregnant women and over 800 of whom have completed their pregnancies. Importantly, no safety concerns were observed for people vaccinated in the third trimester of, um, or safety concerns for their babies. As such, CDC recommends that pregnant people receive the COVID-19 vaccine. As we all know, these were not included in the original clinical trials that led to the EUA for the two vaccines that are currently available. But I want to point out that since the EUA and under the EUA, approximately 20,000 pregnant women have been vaccinated with no red flags, as we say. And this is being monitored by the CDC and the FDA. Apparently, yet unsurprisingly, it was a lie. The new evidence suggests that the federal government was fully aware that the pre-born and breastfed babies of the vaccinated mothers were at increased risk of dying, yet insisted that women get inoculated anyway. Our guest today is the wonderful Dr. Naomi Wolf. Her team of 3,000 volunteers, including medical professionals and lawyers, has been, doing, uh, has been going through tens of thousands of pages of documents that the FDA used to decide that Pfizer shots was safe and effective. Naomi, thank you so much for joining us again. Veronica, it's great to speak with you again. 
Naomi, you have already uncovered so many important and very disturbing pieces of information about the vaccines that were known to the FDA. Last time we spoke, you shared with us many of the key findings related to the stunning inefficacy of the shots and the number of adverse events seen in the trials and in the post-marketing uh, stage of the vaccine's rollout. Um, yet your latest findings are even more troubling and relate to the shot's effects on the most vulnerable Americans, and not only Americans, people worldwide. Uh, please well, tell us about what you found about the safety data on the vaccines for pregnant women and their babies. Absolutely. Um, it, is, it is truly shocking and it, it raises a, a, a gigantic red flag for mothers and people who care about women who will conceive or give birth or breastfeed around the world. Um, it really is a, a, an assault on humanity, um, what has emerged from the Pfizer documents. And just to add a little detail before I dive in, um, you're absolutely right. This project, it's not my own work. I'm not a medical doctor. It's uh, 3,000 highly credentialed volunteers, as you mentioned, um, physicians and RNs, but also biostatisticians, um, medical fraud investigators, lab clinicians, uh, and, uh, you know, research scientists of all kinds. So they have indeed been going through the 55,000 Pfizer documents. They've issued 23 reports that anyone can read. And, and truly what's emerging, as you said, and as we discussed last time, is a series of uh, horrific um, crimes that Pfizer knew about. Um, and, and the FDA knew about. So the latest is this. Um, pregnant women, as you said, were assured uh, from the very top of the NIH and the CDC on down to hired you know, influencers on social media uh, that the vaccines were safe and effective for pregnant women or women who were wanting to get pregnant. As you noted correctly, this claim was made in spite of pregnant women being excluded, as you said, from the internal trials. And so the EUA, the emergency use authorization, was issued for everyone to be vaccinated with these mRNA vaccines um, without any pregnant human women being, being exposed to them ever. So it was a massive experiment on pregnant women. Women were not told that. The basis of the claim the internal basis of the claim that the vaccine was safe and effective for pregnant women was a study of 44 French rats who were followed for 42 days. And these mother rats were not even allowed to bring their baby rats to term. The fetuses were autopsied and the scientists decided they were fine. And on the basis of that, this vaccine was declared safe and effective for pregnant women. I so these baby rats were not, you know, weighed at birth to see if they were low birth weight. They weren't checked to see if they were nursing okay. They weren't checked to see if they were, if their reflexes were, were normal, if they were learning normally, uh, not, nothing. Um, the fetuses were autopsied and, and the, the uh, injection was declared fine for human women. The scientists and doctors who ran the study were shareholders or employees of Pfizer or its subsidiary that made the mRNA vaccines, BioNTech. So that's number one. Number two is that the internal Pfizer documents show that in spite of pregnant women being excluded, 270 got pregnant anyway during the internal trials. And yet they weren't all followed. 234 of them vanished with no known outcome. 
and their babies, no known outcome. We don't know what happened to them. Um, usually, in my experience as a journalist, people don't lose data that they're proud of or that they're not trying to conceal. Mm. Um, of the 36 women whose babies were followed to term, 28 of the babies died. 28 babies died of mRNA-vaccinated mothers in these internal trials. 28 of 36. And that's, those are the ones we know about. So a, a massacre of babies. Uh, and no headlines. Sorry? Uh, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how do you interpret the fact that so much crucial data, I mean, some 230 women were not followed up? Why is, why is it missing? How do you, why do you think it is missing? I mean, I'm sorry to say, having now seen 23 reports and a lot of these actual documents, this was very common in the internal Pfizer trials. It's the worst, the worst gesture at science any of these scientists have ever seen. Um, there is a lot of missing data. There are hundreds of patients generally who just vanish uh, in addition to these 234 women. Um, there are all kinds of games that were played like um, non-random groups, for instance, to almost two thirds, I'm sorry, almost three quarters of the uh, trial participants were female. Um, and that skews against people who show harms from cardiac damage, which Pfizer also knew uh, early on, you know, that these mRNA injections caused, um, you know, parts were double, were, were unblinded so that, you know, they weren't a control and a, a non-control. Um, so th this is very common that the, the science is, is bad or that there's missing data um, or no known outcomes, very common uh, category in the Pfizer documents. Uh, they just didn't look or else they looked and, and lost the, the documentation. Um, but those are the right questions. Um, moving on, uh, in the internal Pfizer trials, there were already signs that the injection harmed breastfeeding, breast milk. A uh, common side effect um, for lactating women who are vaccinated with, with these mRNA injections is that their uh, breast milk dries up um, for, for several days, then it comes back. However, anyone who's breastfed knows that by the time you've had a hungry baby for three or four days and you can't generate breast milk, that baby's already on formula and you, you can't start breastfeeding again because the baby's you know, habituated to formula. So, so lactating women should definitely be told that. And the numbers of women who breastfed during 2021 to 2022 dropped from 34% to 14%. And these are the same years that the massive vaccination of breastfeeding women took place. Um, in among those breastfeeding women, there was a breastfeeding baby of a vaccinated mother who got very sick. The baby had GI distress, agitation, uh, failure to thrive, sleeplessness, and seizures. Finally, the baby was rushed to the hospital, and the baby died. Um, and the baby was found to have an inflamed liver. And again, we're hearing these stories of children with inflamed livers. Um, and you really need to ask, you know, ask about this because another thing that Pfizer documents show is that the mRNA and the spike protein and the lipid nanoparticles don't stay in the mother's, anyone's injection site, even though we were assured they would, uh, but they, they travel in your bloodstream in 48 hours, as you may recall, to the spleen, the lymph nodes, the adrenals, the liver, and if you're a woman, also to the ovaries. 
which again is going to have an impact on reproduction. Um, so we know that that baby died. Four of the lactating women who were vaccinated with mRNA injections, their breast milk turned blue-green. Why is that? Four of the women's breast milk turned blue-green. And it's like eerie that it's described exactly this way. Uh, so I asked Dr. Harvey Risch about this, the very distinguished uh, Yale um, epidemiologist. And he said that as a hypothesis, it sounds like something wrong with their blood the way when you get a bruise, the bruise goes through different colors, like blue and then yellow. Um, and in fact, we have, you know, breast milk is, is built up from blood and lymph in the mother. So even though all these spokespeople and these paid doctors and these gynecologists and obstetricians swore to women that the injection couldn't, couldn't affect their baby, right? Pfizer knew that it was going to the bloodstream and therefore it was going to go into the placenta and it was going to go into the breast milk because, you know, breast milk is made of the mother's body. It's not made from something other than the mother's body. And they knew that this, this material was going throughout the mother's body. Um, so what I do want to say about with the breast milk aside is that we are hearing anecdotally from across the country of babies who are lactating, nursing, I'm sorry, nursing from lactating mothers who've been vaccinated with mRNA vaccines. And the babies are showing the same, the same pattern of distress, um, gastrointestinal distress, agitation, sleeplessness, and failure to thrive. And, and, and mothers and fathers are taking their babies to the pediatricians and saying what's wrong, and no one seems to know. Well, the Pfizer documents show what could be wrong. Um, polyethylene glycol, is one of the ingredients, Veronica, in the mRNA injections. So polyethylene glycol is a petroleum product. It's made of petroleum. It's, it's, it's the, the ingredient that makes white strips gummy, for instance. You're not supposed to inject it into your body. It's in antifreeze, right? It's in all these industrial products. And so polyethylene glycol is going through the mother's body. And an NIH study preprint showed that there were trace amounts of polyethylene glycol in vaccinated mother's breast milk. And yet that study, NIH, of course, concluded that it's trace amounts. But what is a trace amount when you're a tiny newborn with no immunities and this is your only food? And the study, even though it said, oh, it's just trace amounts, they did acknowledge that the babies of the vaccinated moms were suffering gastrointestinal distress sleeplessness and agitation. And they only followed them for two weeks, but they said more study should be done. So babies are, babies are getting sick from the breast milk of vaccinated mothers. Understandably, they're ingesting a petroleum product. Um, I do want to note that at the same time that mother's breast milk was contaminated, I'm just going to say it with polyethylene glycol through the vaccinations, uh, the FDA, which is the same the same agency that asked the court to conceal these Pfizer documents for 75 years, they also suspended baby formula production of Abbott Factory, which is where most American baby food comes from. And I will also note that a startup funded by Zuckerberg, Bezos, uh, um, Bill Gates and Richard Branson called Biomilk with a Q um, has launched right about now, you know, during the same year when all this happened to 
replace human breast milk with a lab-created imitation breast milk. Um, And this is, to me, this is very nefarious, like this is kind of an aside, but not, because my book, The Bodies of Others, which is just out now, points out that tech companies have no qualms, like they're it is absolutely considered morally acceptable to disrupt human processes and capabilities to make human beings dependent on a, a tech investor's product. Like that is normal. And so, you know, my argument, it's a bit of an aside, is that this whole last two years has been about disrupting human community and education and congregation and worship and, and culture so as to make us dependent on the products that tech bros are are creating or investing in, um, in addition to other bad actors like China and the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, you know, also has a vested interest in, in remaking our world um, to, to disempower us. But to me, as a, as a woman and as a mother and as a stepmother, the, the most incredible thing that is, you know, one of God's creations is a female body that can conceive, gestate, deliver, and then feed life with you know with you can feed a baby with nothing but yourself right and so this this injection kind of disrupts that power that women have right it it strips them of that power in effect um as well as putting our babies at risk because there's never been a generation of babies that have come of age and turned into children and adults with with no breastfeeding at all like nothing from the mother or at least nothing that's safe really for them to ingest um, I want to go on. Uh, in addition to the harms that you see to pregnant women in the Pfizer documents, um, and, and at the end of this riff, I want to show you how uh, these babies and, and, uh, and fetuses are, are actually harmed by the injections practically. But um, an, an Israeli journalist named Etana Hecht, uh, who's been reporting on what the volunteers in our project are finding, she looked at uh, signals from three countries and there's a babies are dying, right? In vaccinated countries, babies are dying in unprecedented levels. In Ontario, Canada, a doctor there um, said that usually they have five or six uh, neonatal deaths. And in a three month period that they had 86, this was his testimony. Um, In Scotland, which is an almost completely vaccinated country, there's double the number of babies dying. Facebook is trying to fact check this, but they can't because the BBC reported it. You know, many uh, Scottish Scotland on Sunday, I believe, reported it. The Scottish Herald reported it. It's it's double the number, and they're trying to downplay that it's just a signal. But no, it's double the number of stillborn babies or babies who die shortly after being born. And in Israel, also a highly vaccinated country, Rambam Hospital has. Uh, 34% more spontaneous abortions, miscarriages, and newborn deaths to vaccinated mothers than unvaccinated. So again, these are early signals, but they certainly require investigation. And and you've got to scale them up to the 190 vaccinated countries around the world, right, to to try to get a sense of how much risk uh, we're facing, you know, as humanity. And I guess the last thing I want to say, which is so distressing, is that, you know, fertility and, and gestation. Um, 
I was deplatformed from Twitter for the first time and had a global smear campaign aimed at me a year ago because I was calling attention to anecdotal reports, which are very important in women's health, right? Because when something's wrong, women will start to tell their friends or they'll start, they'll start to tell their moms. So the early signals are often anecdotal. Um, so you have to pay attention to them. And uh, a year ago, there were anecdotal reports of women reporting horrible problems with their menstrual cycles uh, if they were vaccinated, ranging from horrible hemorrhaging and clotting to two periods in a month or to you know many menopausal women who not menstruated in years suddenly menstruating. Well, you don't have to be a biologist to know that that means something is wrong if you understand anything about human reproduction and the female body and, and female health, right? Let alone reproductive health. And, and now we know the spike protein and these lipid nanoparticles, these hard fatty casings are accumulating in the ovaries, right? Well, finally, after I got deplatformed and, and attacked, uh, the NIH and other um, government bodies are acknowledging that women's vaccinated women's menstrual cycles have extended on average an extra day a month. That's 12 extra days of bleeding on average for a year, almost half a month of extra bleeding. And of course, extra bleeding means, you know, like that uterine lining is there for a reason, right? And it sheds for a reason. So, and, and, and these things are very delicate hormonally. I mean, it's not like you can just have an extra day of bleeding on average a month and nothing else is wrong, right? So, the reason I bring all of this up is that's a huge red flag. Um, and there's some theories from some of the dissident doctors about why women are bleeding like this. Um, and basically their argument is that the, the tiny blood vessels are, are impaired by what's in the mRNA injections. Um, but I want to go now to the amniotic sac, right? The, the placenta, like this is so important where a baby this is a baby's home for nine months and it's super delicate, right? I mean, you, there are problems you can have in pregnancy like placenta, brevia, where it's, you know, you don't want to get it ruptured. You don't want to get it dislodged. You, you know, it has to be okay for the baby to be okay, right? Like, I can't believe I'm even having to explain this. And I'm just kind of reminding everyone of their eighth grade biology so that they understand how serious this is. So these lipid nanoparticles, which like imagine tiny, tiny casings, like, you know, like a, like a gelatinous vitamin or gelatinous pill, you know, it's got like a, a rubbery casing on the outside and it's liquid on the inside. I'm not making an exact comparison, but very ske a sketchy comparison. The lipid nanoparticles are these tiny hard fatty casings that enclose the mRNA, right? And then they're you know, they're exciting to biotech companies because they can deliver medicine to all kinds of places in the body. Well, at what, at what cost? They were engineered to cross the blood-brain barrier to deliver medicine to people with brain tumors. So that's like a very serious risk-benefit assessment, right? If you don't get the medicine to the brain tumor, you're going to die of a brain tumor. However, these lipid nanoparticles designed to cross human membranes, right, are being injected into healthy women who are caring, you know, and who then carry what are supposed to be healthy babies. So they don't need to take those risks. But those lipid nanoparticles that women were assured cannot bother the baby, can't get to the baby, 
they cross every membrane in the human body. And so these lipid, tiny, hard, fatty casings are entering, you know, traversing the placenta. And personally, I don't yet understand how something can traverse a membrane without harming or weakening or altering a membrane, right? The scientists haven't explained that to me yet. But what even say the placenta is intact with these, these little particles traversing it, they are in the fetal environment. They're in the amniotic fluid that the baby depends upon as to create a healthy environment for it to grow. And, and they're traversing, I mean, they're in every cell in the body, according to uh, the manufacturer's earlier websites, they've deleted this, but that means they're in the amniotic, um, you know, the connection to the mother, the, the, they're they're in the baby itself right so there is and, no way to say right now what kind of consequences it will possibly have in the long term for those babies well exactly thank you very much and i guess what i'm trying to say is and i'm not a scientist but understanding how lipid nanoparticles work the fact that babies are dying is an incredibly urgent emergency for us to stop everything and immediately figure out why they're dying because they're what i've described now what the documents show is there are several mechanisms by which they could be dying that pfizer knew about and the fda knew about and that's my update naomi i would like to thank you so much for your time uh and taking the time to share this crucially important information with us please tell us what's the best way to connect with you and support your work and also please tell us uh what's the be best way to get your latest book the bodies of others Thank you so much. So please do order The Bodies of Others because it's being um, censored in various ways. Uh, and you can go to Amazon or uh, even better, allseasonspress.com or alibris or dailyclout.io, um, bookshop.org or your local bookstore. Um, you can see all of these reports and you should, like you shouldn't take my word for it, right? You should go look at the reports that have the actual citations of the actual Pfizer documents. So this cannot be fact-checked away, right? They're trying, but they can't because the documentation is right there. And that's on dailycloud.io. Um, you can follow me at Dr. Naomi R. Wolf on Getter. And please do support this effort. We now have a uh, incredible legal team um, bringing charges or bringing a civil cause of action and uh, aligning to bring charges against Pfizer. Um, so we have legal bills. So please uh, do support us if you can, uh, everyone out there. Thank you very much, Naomi. All the best. Thank you so much. Take care. Obviously, July 4th was only a week ago, but on July 4th, or maybe it was a day thereafter, I saw either a correspondent or a regular guest, and I think she was on MSNBC or CNN. What's the difference? And she said to the host that the Constitution does not serve our purposes anymore. It was written by a handful of white slave owners. This is what you get from the Marxist left, the Constitution. What's in the Constitution? Due process, free speech, freedom of religion, the right to bear arms, the right to be protected in your home, probable cause, all kinds of protections for the individual. What else is in the Constitution? Limitations on government, limitations on Congress, limitations on the presidency, limitations on the courts. 
So we don't have a kind of totalitarian regime centralized in one place, which is what the founders fought against. What else do we have in the Constitution? We have all kinds of things in the Constitution that promote what we call the civil society, law and order, and protect the individual. You see, these people who wrote the Constitution and adopted the Constitution, most of them were people of faith. Most of them were learned, even though they didn't all go to Princeton. Most of them looked back on the various governments that had existed before ours and during their times. And so they researched, they thought, they looked at philosophers, they looked at Aristotle and Cicero, they looked at Abraham and Moses, they looked at Jesus, they looked at so much. In five and a half months in Philadelphia, they came up with the Constitution. And that Constitution wasn't imposed on the people. Every state legislature had a say. That is, they had a convention. Those state legislatures were the individuals in those legislatures were elected at the localist of levels back then. And they would have these conventions, conventions of regular people and legislators who would get together and make decisions about what they supported and what they didn't support. Much more quote-unquote democratic, wasn't it? So when you have people go on television and denounce the entirety of the Constitution, you can then understand why they embrace and celebrate something like the January 6th Committee in the House of Representatives. Every member of that committee was approved by and chosen by Nancy Pelosi, one of the most evil speakers of the House in American history, one of the most diabolical politicians in modern American history. All members on that committee, all nine, voted to impeach Donald Trump, who is the subject of their investigation. Not January 6th, not security for the Capitol, but Donald Trump. Someone once said it's like the third impeachment. It pretty much is. At least five of the nine members have openly, publicly, in the press, stated their purpose is to pressure the United States Department of Justice under the Attorney General appointed by Biden and the U.S. Attorney's Office, the U.S. Attorney appointed by Biden, to indict former President Trump to ensure that he never gets close to the Oval Office again that he can't take over the Republican Party, that he can't run for office again. Uh, that is a clearly unconstitutional uh, process for the House of Representatives to be involved in. This committee leaks, it cherry picks information, it conceals exculpatory information, it conceals any information or witnesses uh, that and who challenged their narrative. It manipulates evidence and the entire public hearing process is a choreographed Stalinist show trial. They read from monitors. They show video. They have graphics, all in procession. The committee is investigating the Republican National Committee, scores of private nonprofit organizations, Republican state officials, election attorneys, conservative media figures and organizations. Wow, that seems a little bit out of their jurisdiction. The committee has secretly obtained emails, text messages, and phone records, often without the knowledge of citizens, so the citizens can't go to court and challenge them. There have been violations left and right of attorney-client privilege, of attorney work product, of confidentiality. This is a core fundamental principle in our system of justice, ladies and gentlemen. 
The committee is now using extreme left-wing groups, it was just learned, uh, that are tied to the Democrat Party, such as the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, which has come under financial and other scrutiny in the recent past, to funnel research to the committee. Quote, our work has helped to document coordination between Trump, his allies, and two extremist groups we've tracked for years, said the Southern Poverty Law Center to Politico. And this group, Southern Poverty Law Center, often smears Christian organizations, traditional conservative groups, and labels them as hate groups, among other things. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there hasn't been one syllable of testimony in front of the public regarding testimony this committee has received in secret by a number of witnesses, that it was Donald Trump who authored a document authorizing up to 20,000 armed military National Guardsmen to protect the Capitol building. He issued that authorization two days before January 6th. It was turned down by Nancy Pelosi. And it was turned down by the mayor of Washington, D.C. Doesn't it sort of undermine the whole notion that he was in charge of some insurrection? I also learned, as I interviewed Cash Patel, the former chief of staff over at DOD on my radio show, that Trump also authorized after the election in November the Department of Defense to prepare transition to a Biden administration. You can challenge the election while at the same time allowing the government to go forward with a likely or possible transition, which is exactly what Donald Trump was doing. At the same time, Biden's appointed U.S. attorney and attorney general are obviously coordinating with this committee and attempting to criminalize challenges to the 2020 election in ways we've never seen before in American history and will do grave damage to our political system. A candidate, listen to me, a candidate or his surrogates can and have, under our Constitution, challenged the vote in states, not only through litigation, like Al Gore tried to litigate himself into the Oval Office, but through the state legislatures, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 doesn't give the courts or the executive branch the power. It gives the state legislatures, specifically by name under the federal constitution, to determine who the electors will be. And early in our history, the state legislature chose the electors. And recently in our history, in 2000 in Florida, when they had a rogue Democrat-controlled Supreme Court, the Republican state legislature had taken steps to appoint the electors because the Supreme Court of Florida had blocked the process and they wanted to make sure electors get there. Also in our history, we've had two sets of electors set to, sent to Congress as well. It's not a crime for a candidate to ask or to lobby state legislators to take a look at what's taken place or to change uh, the outcome. You may not like it. You may not think it's politically wise. You may not think it's ethical. It's certainly not illegal, and it's certainly not criminal. Now we have the U.S. Attorney's Office, with the approval of the Attorney General, no doubt, searching the homes and the electronic devices of attorneys, of election attorneys. You have a federal grand jury hearing testimony from information taken from attorneys. The efforts to use criminal statutes criminal statutes that have never been used before in this way to try and manufacture a coup effort or to try and claim some kind of obstruction or interference with the electors or something else, pure and simple, 
by Biden appointees of justice in the U.S. Attorney's Office is a horrific, unconscionable, unconscionable abuse of power by people who really are not interested in the Constitution. Now, keep something else in mind. Washington, D.C. is a haven for Democrats, legally, politically, and in every other way. 92%, if I recollect correctly, of the vote in Washington, D.C. went to Joe Biden, 92%. Well, who do you think makes up the grand juries? Who do you think makes up the juries? The people in the city of Washington, D.C. Now, if they voted 92% for Joe Biden or 92% for Hillary Clinton, let's just say overwhelmingly voted for those two candidates, and you have an attorney general of the United States and a U.S. attorney trying to bring an indictment in front of a grand jury. And remember, a grand jury, there's no opposition. It's just the prosecutor and the members of that grand jury. And even those witnesses who testify in front of the grand jury are not free to have an attorney present. And if you have a trial and the jury is made up of individuals out of a pool of overwhelmingly partisan Democrats who voted for the opposition, who either voted for Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden, and you have a former president or his surrogates facing that jury, how in the hell are they going to get a fair trial? This whole thing is rigged. It's a disgrace from this committee to the U.S. attorney, to the attorney general of the United States, to the so-called justice process in Washington, D.C. Why don't they hold it, if they're going to hold it anywhere else, in Utah or Idaho or someplace like that? No, that would never happen. So my point to you this evening is this. You keep hearing media types and legal analysts go on about what we learned. The fact of the matter is what we learned is we have a rogue committee, a rogue U.S. attorney, a rogue attorney general, where information is being censored, where contrary witnesses are not permitted to publicly testify because it destroys the narrative, and where this whole system is set up to try and kill the Republican Party generally, MAGA specifically, and Donald Trump overall. That's what it's doing. That violates separation of power from this committee, and the abuse of these criminal statutes should not stand. Hey, Sean Hannity here. Hey, click here to subscribe to Fox News YouTube page and catch our hottest interviews and most compelling analysis. You will not get it anywhere else. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? To all the school kids going on strike for climate change, you're the first generation who've required air conditioning in every classroom. You want TV in every room, and your classes are all computerized. You spend all day and night on electronic devices. More than ever, you don't walk or ride bikes to school, but you arrive in caravans of private cars that choke suburban roads and worsen rush hour traffic. You're the biggest consumers of manufactured goods ever and update perfectly good, expensive luxury items to stay trendy. Your entertainment comes from electric devices. Furthermore, the people driving your protests are the same people who insist on artificially inflating the population growth through immigration which increases the need for energy, manufacturing and transport. The more people we have, 
the more forest and bushland we clear, the more of the environment that's destroyed. How about this? Tell your teachers to switch off the aircon, walk or ride to school, switch off your devices and read a book, make a sandwich instead of buying manufactured fast food. No, none of this will happen because, the piece says, you're selfish, badly educated, virtue signalling little turds inspired by the adults around you who crave a feeling of having a noble cause while they indulge themselves in Western luxury, an unprecedented quality of life. Wake up, grow up and shut up. Um. When I asked... Well, just a moment, Alice, you've been speaking for most of the night. When I... When, when I... When I asked Tanya Plibersek... We'll fact-check that one for you. Yes. When I asked Tanya Plibersek, was the Deputy Leader of the Labor Party and the potential Deputy Prime Minister, was carbon dioxide the big issue in relation to climate change? And she said yes. I then said, well, that being the case, what percentage of the atmosphere is made up of carbon dioxide? And she said, I don't know. And I said, hang on, you don't know what percentage of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide and yet you're prepared to stand the economy on its head to address a problem, the detail of which you don't know. So when I then explain that the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, Alice, is how much? Reserved. Alice, how much of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? To answer Alice? the question, Scott Morrison has said he Al believes Alison, in how climate much? change Alice, and that how much? he wants to do something about Alice, it. Alice, how much carbon dioxide is the problem? How much carbon dioxide is there in the atmosphere? I'm not a scientist. Too much. I don't oh. know. I'm a well, hang on. If you're going to argue the case, you ought to know. It's 0.04 of a percent. And of that 0.04 of a percent, human beings around the world create 3 percent. And of that 3 percent, Australia creates 1.3 percent. So for the 1.3 percent of 3 percent of 0.04 percent, we then decide to have a national economic suicide. Alan, now, Alan, you're Alan, going Alan I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy Please you to have made that point. Which they tried to muzzle me by not allowing me to speak. And when that didn't work, they tried to muzzle me with a mask. I would thank you all for allowing me to speak to you tonight, but you tried not to allow it, yet here I am. Now you only give us 60 seconds, so let me get to the point. You are all child abusers. You prey upon impressionable children and indoctrinate them into your insane ideological cult. By imposing this vile nonsense on students to the point even of forcing young girls to share locker rooms with boys, you deprive these kids of safety and privacy and something more fundamental too, which is truth. If education is not grounded in truth, then it is worthless. Worse, it is poison. You are poison. You are predators. I can see why you try to stop us from speaking. You know that your ideas are indefensible. You silence the opposing side because you have no argument. You can only hide under your beds like pathetic little gutless cowards hoping we shut up and go away. But we won't. I promise you that. <laughs>